Welcome to Social Work Stories, a podcast exploring social work practice through stories and critical reflection. This podcast is recorded on Aboriginal country, lands which were never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. We offer a warm welcome to any Indigenous listeners who are part of our podcast community around the world. If you have thoughts or feedback for our team, or just want to find our whole back catalog of episodes, check out our website, socialworkstories.com. But for now, on with the episode. Hello, Mim. Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm excited that we get to do another podcast episode. I know. And this is episode two of The Seed Project, which is part of... Social Work Stories podcast. That's right. This is our part two of our three-part episode arc where we're getting to showcase this incredible program called SEED that uh, we were able to partner with the University of Wollongong and Illawarra Shoalhaven Local Health District to do these episodes, Liz. And memory about episode one. Yes. Was the Let's slow recap. build. Yeah. So we, we painted the picture of SEED with all these wonderful characters. That's right. Do you remember who we met in episode one? There was uh, Michelle. Michelle, who was a pharmacist whose home burnt down. We started with her story. That's right. We heard from Gail about how horrendous it was down there at the time of the fires, right? Like actually that build up on the highway, absolutely awful. And then we meet the unlikely duo of Stuart Head of Operations at Milton Hospital, critical care nursing background meets social worker Padmini. That's right. That's the one that you and I wanted to be the fly on the wall. Yeah, we wanted to see exactly how the sparks flew in that moment. And um, look, listeners, if you haven't heard episode one yet, you've got to start there. Got to start there. You've got to, and you've got to feel the build up. You have to. You absolutely have to because um, what we're talking about today is actually what were the activities that Seed used in Milton Ulladulla Hospital to actually work with staff around their well-being and their wellness, yeah? And um, and we're gonna, so we're going to hear from Stuart, we're going to hear from Padmini, we're going to hear from everyone, we're going to hear from Ruth who told us her story last time about her burnout and sort of set the scene because, you know, Liz, this is the, the whole theme of these episodes is what we're talking about on this podcast all the time, which is about staff well-being and it's about being able to continue the really, really hard everyday work that is healthcare provision, yeah? So this episode, we're going to kick off by just hearing from Stuart about what was happening amongst the staff at the time of these bushfires, yeah? These are the bushfires of 2019, 2020, it was the summer. It was a really difficult time for everyone. What was going on with the staff? Let's hear from Stuart. They had done the most amazing job in the time that I had been away. Uh, they were under a, a state of duress um, from the 31st. Not only did the fire hit Lake Conjola, but that influenced the entire region. And uh, for, a, for a very small 25-bed ward uh, hospital, we were in, um, in a, state of, uh, a state of disaster response 
for five days. And we, uh, so we had no power at the hospital. There was uh, disruption to water supply. There was clearly an abundance of people that exceeded the capacity of the facility. And outside of that, the people that care for our community are, are staff from the community. And what that actually means is that they're in the home caring for their family, caring for themselves, going through an experience that is extreme in nature. And then we ask them to come to work and for eight or 10 hours, park all of that to the side and provide exceptional care, both physical and psychological care to our patients. Uh, to do that is um, extraordinary and uh, they did it uh, very well. Uh, they've been well regarded by the community pre prior to this and uh, this sort of this act of, of uh, selflessness and being able to provide a service demonstrates to me the high level of um, skill, high level of competence and professionalism that these staff have. Isn't it incredible, Liz, that while all that's going on, the staff can actually still get on and do their jobs? Like, I find that amazing. In fact, it probably was one of those things that was a protective factor for them. Yeah. You know, my life's falling apart. I've lost my house. You know, my animals have been killed in the fire. In the chaos, the one thing that I know how to do is to provide health care. So in some of that, it would have been the only thing that brought them some sense of control over. That's right. I was going to say that, that actually the hospital becomes a place of potential comfort and, um, and, you know, within that framework, I guess, within that context, the senior executive of the local health district sent in Padmini. And can I just say what a, I, she probably, she knows this person and she knows that, you know, she's done good work in the past, but it, essentially it was a, it was a risky manoeuvre. She's mm. sending in an outsider to actually work with a group of people from a local town, right? Yeah, that's right. But one of the things that really impressed me with a number of the leadership approaches to this disaster was this vulnerability that they just owned. Yeah. The ability to say, I don't know what we're going to do, but let's just not know together. And it's pretty rare, certainly in health world, that you hear that style of leadership. And I feel another seed metaphor coming on. Nim. Bring it on, Liz. What is it? Stuart. Mm. Stuart and his leadership as being a seed. I'm just planting that. Plant so, it I'm here. Not planting. Yeah, plant, I'm planting. plant the seed in the listeners' minds because we're going to come back to that. Yes. I think you're right. There's many ways we can look at the seed metaphor. And one of the beautiful things that Padmini described for us in part one of these episodes was how she consulted with the staff. She ran focus groups, did that participatory action research model where she really sat and talked with people about what they were experiencing and what they therefore needed. And out of that came a number of components of, of the SEED program, activities that happened that really brought about the values of SEED, right? So we're going to now listen to people within the hospital talking about the different components. And firstly, we're going to talk about what the staff call the quiet room. Liz. So I'm going to let them describe what the quiet room is. We're going to hear from Bronwyn and Michael and Stuart about that. Um, but I guess I want to put it out there to our listeners. How easy do you think it would be to find a quiet room in a busy hospital? One of the nice things that's come out of the um, program is we have a quiet room. So the quiet room is a really lovely space. 
And very few hospitals, or I imagine very few workplaces, have um, a space that's dedicated to restoration or a bit of nurturing. And it's a real privilege to work in an organisation that provides us with that space. Real estate in hospitals is quite limited, um, meeting rooms. Um, so, you know, I'm just really hoping that for as long as possible, we can keep that. And um, so far, so good. It's, it has a lot of support. What the quiet room is used for is very diverse. So I mean, last evening, a staff member who couldn't drive home in really bad weather, the in charge of hospital said, look, perhaps you stay overnight in the quiet room. And that's, that's unusual, but it's a nurturing thing to do for a staff member. Um, we use it, the, clinical, the two clinical nurse educators, we use it to do a lot of our um, incident reviews. We all sort of sit down with the staff member. We do our clinical supervision in there. We take staff in there if we need to talk about an episode of care, just get better understanding. And it's a very relaxed space. Quite often when I take uh, nursing students in there, we always take the nursing students there on a weekly basis. And they like to sit on the cushions on the ground. You know, it's actually, if you came in, you'd see like five people sprawled around the ground and it's very informal. And in that relaxed sitting, there's no one behind a desk and it's just really nice. So that's from a, a practical perspective how it's used for us as educators. But for the staff in general, you know, they can go down and just have a, have a rest and have a sit down if um, they need to extricate themselves after, a you know, something stressful occurs. Yeah, there's sort of regular people who use it all the time. It's very accessible from the ward area. I think emergency staff could probably benefit by using it a lot more. And um, culturally they find it, it's not, it's not situated in the emergency department. Ideally, if every department could have their own just space for people to go would be ideal. And uh, we're a small enough hospital that um, that you know, having it in a in the general ward still okay, and we can encourage use of that room by doing more things in that room and bringing more staff into that room, and that could be, for example, with the emergency staff. If I say I'm just going to run just a a little chat about something and take them down there, and I, and I think over time it just becomes embedded in our culture to have a space that we can use. Um, I must say it's, it is predominantly nursing focused. It would be really nice to see sometimes that the doctors might choose to use a space like that because, you know, particularly after all sorts of events, they probably would like just to have five minutes just to regather their thoughts again. We've left a lot of the things on the walls and over time it hasn't changed a great deal. So a lot of the messages that people wrote down after their courses, the artwork that people did, the colouring in, it's kind of growing and morphing that space, but it still kind of contains history now where you've sort of got evidence of like the growth of seed, you can actually see that. And every now and then, you know, I will, even today, you know, I go into that space and I just kind of flick, you, you can't help but read some of the messages that are around the place. And it can be quite uplifting. And it's really nice to 
just um, reflect back on some of those ways in which people felt nurtured or positive. And one of the ones that I always I notice is about things that other managers through executive, through the area, wrote to our director of nursing, you know, when he described the program. And they were just true words of encouragement. And so, you know, within a health culture, that's really nice to see. It's good for us all. Um, so in, we had a quiet room that was developed for the staff to be able to go and um, relax or to, to take their mind off things when they needed to or have a break. Um, and so I was able to make a tree that went onto the wall um, out of a, an old door that I had at home. I like to muck around in my shed. And she also had a, a, a smaller one that she wanted to be a mobile thing to take around and, and uh, be able to tell everyone about the program. And it was uh, I made a sort of smaller version of that, which was just nice. Again, just nice practical things. I made a little table for in the room as well. And it sort of fed into the things that I love to muck around doing in my shed. So it was a good excuse to get into my man shed. No problems there at all. Uh, I remember when Padmini said to me, I want to put in a quiet room. And I... Um I, uh, I knew that I would be the lead weight around the idea. I knew that if it was up to me, we would not be putting in a quiet room and I would see no benefit in it. But um, I actually started to see the changes of leadership in me because I realised that I wasn't in a position to have all the answers and I needed to believe in someone, believe in something different, trust Padmini, but also trust the staff and be courageous, be prepared to... Uh, try something new, do something different. And whilst it wasn't something that I had ever seen in health or in my experience uh, I'd participated in, I knew that it was worth a go. So I actually said to Padmini, look, just just make it happen. Um, but um, best that I, you just tell me it's done because if I get myself involved, I think I'll actually dampen it or change it or it won't happen. And uh, that was a really tough moment for me because I'm used to it. I'm used to having the answers. I'm used to knowing the direction that I need to go in, and I'm not used to. Well, I wasn't used to um, being as trusting and as courageous as I needed to be in that space. So, very much a pivotal turning point for me. And we um, we popped a quiet room in, and uh, it came with great success. I remember thinking to myself, without someone that was uh, as uh, forward thinking as Padmini, we would never have done that. I want a quiet room. I want one. It is so rare. What they describe yeah. is like it sounds really simple. But if you work in a hospital, you know that real estate space is so it's so competitive. Yeah. But we also know that the uh the sensory overload that you have as a result of working in a hospital and the type of work that you do, to have an escape room where you could just sit quietly, and I've been in this quiet room at Milton Aladella, there is a vibe there that as soon as you walk in, you can feel a, a like tension being released. It's yeah. a really homey space. And you could feel like people, lots of people like Michael have contributed to this space. So it really feels like the staff own it and it feels as comfortable as actually as a shared university house lounge room it reminded me of. <laughs> I love it took you back to those days. There was, there was a couple of bean bags in there. Yeah, that's it right. It certainly did. There was just no milk crates but there was definitely the bean bags and I just felt comfortable and it was so antithetical 
like the opposite of the room right beside it where everything's sterile and clinical. Yeah, you walk yeah, into this yeah. and it's instantly just homely. Yeah, and it's also at the end of a corridor. So actually you almost leave behind the sterility of the hospital to come to this different space. And there's no place, I think about my workplace, if I wanted to just have some downtime, maybe I wanted to have a bit of a cry. Yeah. You've got to go in the toilet for that. Yeah. There's nowhere else in a hospital that you can actually just have a private moment. But Milton does now. Yeah, I know. I love that. I absolutely love that. They also introduced um, these interesting uh, other things. So they had these really structured wellness Wednesdays uh, and where wellness activities would occur. And then they also had this idea of coffee buddies where they'd uh, match people for coffees within work time. We're going to let Stuart, Michael and Michelle talk to us about the coffee buddies and the wellness Wednesdays. But some really interesting activities, Liz, bringing people together in different ways. Uh, we also put in place a relationship opportunity with our staff. So we created the Coffee Buddy system, which was about connecting the staff to each other. We know there's pockets of staff that connect well. We also know that you can walk past a staff member in a facility and not really know their, their name, who they are, how they fit into the world. Um, and that creates a, a distancing. So we set up the Coffee Buddy system and we facilitated that with local coffee shops. And so people were buddied together that wouldn't normally have a relationship. And they were going up the street, having a coffee in work time on us with the purpose of not talking about work, but talking about each other and understanding each other as people. And that meant that the next time you passed the, the lady that delivered the meals, you would know her name was Jenny and you would know that she has a husband and three kids and you would know that her favourite dog is John. You know, like those are the things that started to matter. Yeah, it was a funny, the Coffee Buddies was an interesting sort of project. I think when people first were told that they could go off the ward and go up the street and have a coffee together, it was a bit of a I don't believe you sort of thing. I think in a hospital there's a real pace to a hospital um, and sometimes people didn't believe it. But I think once it really caught on, People went off, and I know from a personal aspect, I certainly went off and had coffees with people that I really didn't know at all. Uh, and I sort of took the opportunity to sort of people that are outliers of our organisation. And it was great, you know, you just get to know someone on a different level. Um, and just, yeah, just to, I think, being able to have a chat with someone and just to get to know them. One of the sessions that developed out of that was a session that we started off having on a Wednesday. And it was a, well set, a wellness session or a well-being session. And it was really in response to the staff wanting to um, gather together and maybe um, listen to each other's um, stories, console each other, be, be there for each other. Just That was an opportunity outside of the work environment where they could actually be kind to one another. And I had previously facilitated um, an Imagine program here at the hospital, which went for six weeks. And so with really no guidelines in this, in this place, I thought, well, we could use the concepts that were within this Imagine program and maybe start with that and just sort of use that as a bit of a guideline, which is sort of where I started. I also, I think there was a bit of hesitation about me being the person that would facilitate the Wellness Wednesday. And I, I understand that. But I felt that for me, um, and particularly the way that I connected with other people in this, in, in, um, with love and gratitude, I felt that 
that would actually be a really healing space for me as much as for anyone else. And that's, and that's it turned out to be that way. And so our Wellness Wednesday was sort of structured with a few key components that really um, helped to um, create um, a structure around what we were doing, but at the same time, not be so structured that there wasn't the flexibility to be vulnerable. And we were really looking for vulnerability in, the, in that hour, that once a week. And so I always began with a meditation practice. Um, it only went for a few minutes and for many that was quite foreign. And that was just breathing or just becoming aware of where they were and just letting them come away from their workspace into that really mindful place. And for many who had never even done that previously, that was a real favorite. That became really favorite, really popular. So that we always started with that. And then we would move into a virtue pick. And I learned this from Padmini and they are a group of cards which um, list um, strengths in, and characteristics that each person carries. And I used it as an opportunity for people to randomly pick a card and then apply those strengths or those virtues to their immediate situation. It might've been their day at work. It might've been how they left the home with their in a relationship. It might've just been the way they were feeling in general. And it created opportunity for connection. Each person spoke sometimes only a little bit, sometimes a lot. And the one thing that, that was built over that time was relationship. Um, I felt that our relationships were enriched. Even though we had worked together, many of us for many years, we really didn't know a lot about each other. And it was on that platform of relationship that um, things started to shift even within our hospital. We started to see the individual change and then we started to see the culture change. And I did so many little exercises around just connecting and loving each other. And that, that, that heart of love really opened a lot of people. There were so many great stories that were shared in that place. And I think then I would um, sort of finish with a little bit of content. We might touch on gratitude or we might touch on at the time some self-care or we might've just had a, had a discussion about how you are doing, you know, what's happening. And it depended, but there was always a little content. And then my most favorite part was we finished with a cup of tea. <laughs> and the cup of tea just, we started with a cup of tea and we finished with a cup of tea. And I think it just sealed, it closed the circle for those people that came. And it went from a Wednesday and a Friday was added in, the numbers were so great. And it continued for many, many months at twice a week, um, including when COVID came and we already had inbuilt into us the, um, the, the, the skills. And, uh, and it continues to this day. And it's pulled back now to just one day a week, but it is still a very much loved um, hour. Hey, Mim, the coffee buddies. Yeah. Like out of all of the different activities that the staff suggested, this is the one that caught my eye because, and you know, like I'm a social worker. I like coffee. Yeah. So can I tell you something? When um, we've had this last surge of COVID, 
we in the department that I work in, we decided to borrow from the seed idea. Okay. And we've set up coffee, little coffee groups. And uh, so a, a few social workers put a lot, quite a bit of money at various cafes so that social workers in our department could go grab a free coffee. Wow. And then contact their coffee group. And so it was done virtually, right? So I'd be at home, working from home, and my coffee group, three other social workers, would we call um, and we, for an hour, we have our coffee and we talk about anything other than work. So similar to what the, the yeah, seed. Yeah, I love this. And I heard a social worker say to me the other day, it's her oasis in the week. Yeah. And I get that now because I'm getting to know my colleagues in such a different way. We don't, because we've just all agreed, we're not going to talk about work. I know about their pets. I know about their kids. I know about their Christmas shopping. And so it's enriched the relationships as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, when we were doing the interviews at Milton Ulla Dollar Hospital with people, when they were talking about the coffee buddies, they were talking about how they were sitting having conversations with people that they really didn't know at all, that they'd maybe seen in the corridors or, you know, and some people really didn't like each other terribly much, but now they were matched together as coffee buddies and how that totally changed the nature of their relationship. I think... These links, these invisible threads between people in a workplace are so incredibly important, right? I think it's amazing. And the other thing I, I was thinking about with regards to the Wellness Wednesdays is here are, let's just call them healers, right? Yeah. Whose attention is often on patients and their families. They've now shifted the lens to sharing this with each other. Yeah. And that's incredibly powerful. Oh, absolutely. Isn't it? That they're actually receiving from each other gifts that they've developed in the course of their their working as nurses, social workers, doctors, yeah. whatever, but they're shifting the focus to each other. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing. One of the other aspects that came into the SEED program was about the community outside of the hospital, right? So not just what was happening inside the hospital. Like we said in episode in part one of these episodes, Milton Ulladulla Hospital is a small, um, you know, country rural hospital. And so there's a community within the hospital which sits in a small community outside, right? And uh, the quiet room was one of the examples of how the community came in and donated things for the quiet room. But... There's also this other activity they did called Friendly Fridays and that was a really key way where community came into this whole program. So let's hear from Padmini a little bit about what was happening in Friendly Fridays. As the SEED program was progressing in Milton, we also noticed that the community came forward to give their support. It was so beautiful when people came and offered their skills. I still remember there was a yoga teacher who said, can I come and do something for the staff? There was a nutritionist who was very well renowned in the local community. There was another member who said she wanted to come and do some artwork and coloring. And we thought, you know what? It's time for us to be open for the healing. 
and it was so nice when the community supported us and that's why we wanted to distinguish it from the wellness wednesdays and called it as friendly fridays so friendly fridays was optional uh, wellness wednesdays was more what michelle devlin did and friendly fridays was when the community came in there were few members whoever wanted to come there was a choice there was a lot of free flowing uh, discussions that happened extremely healing because it was a bit of storytelling and doing what we were doing as well so there was a bit of a head and heart happening at the same time and i think the community felt very very validated because it was in giving that we received just briefly yeah i really like that idea of the community giving back to again to the healers and i i can't help but imagine how powerful that was to be on the receiving of a community gesture like that and i would imagine it was quite uncomfortable because i kind of think about oh gosh could you imagine the community coming in and offering well mind you a massage like that's my dream come true like i'm waiting for the day <laughs> where a massage therapist says and now i want to come in and massage you massage you <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. And, and, and you know, like just putting it out there, Mim, like if there is anyone out there that ever wants to do that, I'm, I'm that person. But I think it also highlights the importance of a community being able to be in that position to say thank you to these frontline workers. And that's very powerful. And I think um, it also highlights how a hospital can often be at the heart of small communities like this. I couldn't agree more with all of that, Liz. I think that's so, so pertinent. But also I think it feeds into how do, this, how do these sorts of activities continue into the future, right? Like you need more than just the moment. And I, um, I, there was one aspect of the SEED program that they put in place called Wellness Warriors. And that to me really embodies how do we go forward in the future? If it's all reliant on someone external like Padmini, then the second that she leaves, this is all going to fall apart, right? But this is this is highlights the sophisticated approach that she took. Yeah, because always I would imagine from the outset she's thinking, I am going to be walking away from this. You have to build sustainability into well, that's good community development, right? Right. Always knowing that it's important to be able to build capacity within that community. And I think the Wellness Warriors was a great example of building capacity. I think so too. Look, let, let's hear from Michelle and Padmini about what was happening in that Wellness Warriors space. And for all you um, social work listeners out there, just listen for some really familiar terminology you might hear now from both Michelle and Padmini. We found a sense of purpose sharing stories with each other. There were people that experienced a great loss. So homes, properties, uh, animals, and there were people who didn't experience that tangible loss, but that sheltered other people from evacuation centres in their homes, you know, went out onto the highway where cars were jam packed and couldn't leave and gave them meals and, and offered beds and rooms to them. And there were some really beautiful things that came out of the community as a whole, but as far as the staff at Milton Hospital came, we formed a better connection 
through our relationships and our, the similarities that we found that we had with each other. We did this by holding wellness sessions where we shared our concerns. Sometimes we shared uh, problem solving tips or how we dealt with stress. Because as human beings, we get in a habit of doing the same thing. You know, we do what works for us and we need to open our minds sometimes to other possibilities. So when you hear that other people have a unique way of dealing with a problem, you're a little bit more likely to go, oh, I never considered that before. That's interesting, I'll give it a go. So in holding space for each other, we connected and shared vulnerable feelings which allowed us to give a voice to the anxiety and the stress that we had. And it lightened the load a little bit of these heavy emotions we were carrying. The Wellness Warriors, I think, is by far our flagship seed initiative. This is when 18 staff put their hands up to take care of themselves as well as take care of each other. And very quickly, what we did was we designed a two-day workshop. The uh, Virtues Project has been very, very close to my heart and I'm a master facilitator of the Virtues Project as well. And one very, very quick strategy in the Virtues Project is the art of companioning. The art of companioning teaches us how to use compassion and detachment at one and the same time. So for us to learn the art of listening to understand, not listening to fix, was a major leap in the way we worked with each other. So the Wellness Warriors was the core and now we've got Wellness Warriors across the district and also a lot of interest statewide to see how the Wellness Warriors can now be used in the pandemic space. Isn't it nice, Liz, to hear people from all different sorts of backgrounds using phrases like, professional backgrounds, using phrases like holding space? Mm. I love it. I love it because in social work, these are phrases that, you know, we use all the time, but actually having it made real for all of the staff at this hospital, regardless of disciplines, I think that was a really genius stroke uh, by Padmini in the training that was done. Absolutely. And I would imagine when you reach a point where you're actually hearing statements like that or using phrases like that, that again, you're getting a sense of the capacity building has is taking place. Yeah. You know, there's a hashtag that the Ministry of Health created during this whole time. It's hashtag kindness works here. And um, and I uh, I really love that. And Wellness Warriors to me actually embodies that that phrase, kindness works here. Because once you are teaching people how to be kind to each other en masse, then it doesn't matter what happens outside of that couple of hours you spent in that training, they're doing that throughout every single shift moving forward. It's magic, right? Like it's magic. Can I tell you, I um, went down to visit Milton Hospital oh, maybe two or three months after all of this had taken place. And I walked in there and I've never been greeted by people. So like everyone you passed greeted you with a smile, said hello. Um, I looked a little bit lost. 
asked if I was okay, did I need any help. Yeah. And it felt different. There yeah. were, it felt like it was a kind place. It's a culture shift, right? I love it. I love it. You know, um, there's this thing that they did about New Year's Eve and I, I really want to bring us to that now because it, it embodies that as well, I think, that essence of what was so individual or unique about this experience, the trauma that these people at this hospital went through, right, with the bushfires. And for for everybody else you might go, well, is New Year's Eve really that important? Like, come on, it's just, you know, one night in the year. But when you've got an entire staff of a hospital who spent New Year's Eve fighting the bushfires, defending their homes, taking care of trauma victims in the hospital, right, like they didn't bring in the new year, did they? Like 2020 didn't really come in for them. And so I actually think that one of this, um, there's a ma- an amazing activity that the hospital initiated as part of the SEED program where they held New Year's Eve a little bit later than the 31st of December, Liz. They held it in February. And for me, it's one of my most favourite activities that actually SEED was able to do at this time because I think it embodies exactly what we were just talking about, just that implicit kindness and taking care of each other. I want us to hear from Michael now because Michael hosted the New Year's Eve party at his property and, um, and it's, it's really, I think, a very special thing. Uh, I'd previously done a Christmas party at my house um, where we had the staff around and when it was thrown up that, you know, we could do a New Year's Eve party and where we could we do it, I was more than happy to have it at my house. Um, I think I'm very blessed to have a house that is quite big and uh, sort of big yard and stuff. And you know, I was, I, I saw the benefit of the Christmas party and I was more than happy to sort of push into the New Year's Eve party. And um, I think there was a really good attendance of everyone. Uh, I think it was a real which is probably very similar to the environment we're in now where a lot of people have been restricted of being able to do the things that they enjoy and a lot of people hold out for Christmas and New Year's and all these things and our holidays and if you can't have them then they really do affect us. Um, so yeah, the party was great. I think it was a good bonding time. It was pretty easy going. It was just a barbecue in the backyard but it was a lot of people chatting and everyone from, you know, and we're lucky that our CEO and stuff was there of the, of the area health as well as our managers but again, you know, people that are new on the floor and the houses in the hospital. And so every person really from all walks of life were there or within the hospital. So that was really nice. I think it was a, yeah, it was a good bonding time. Good bonding time for everybody. I agree with you. I loved the New Year's Eve party in February. Yeah. But the, like, so the, yes, it was a coming together. We've been through a lot. Um, We've supported each other. We've grown through this. I also thought, this is a ritual, right? And we know that rituals can be really important for many people when they've experienced a loss. Yeah, that's right. And you know how to do a New Year's Eve party, but you also know that it's about celebrating new year, new life. Again. Yeah, regeneration. It's actually that seed metaphor again, isn't it, Liz? It is. Yeah. So on that level, I think it was a, also a I really beautiful genius. gesture. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, if, you, if you're going to keep this sort of these sorts of activities and practices and approach happening into the future you've got to give it validity of some sort right like an organization has to invest and we know that we know that anecdotally we know that on the ground but does it happen Liz no like, that's the thing this is one of my milk crate moments yeah. how often in health do we have a new program and it becomes a shiny bauble on the Christmas tree yeah. for a few months and then it kind of dies out and then it's replaced with something else. This is different. 
It is different. And what made it different, I think, is the organisational support and structure around it. And one of the things that Illawarra Shellhaven Local Health District did that I think was really important was creating Ruth's position as the project officer, right? Like, and that position has continued on since Ruth. But, you know, Ruth was there in that fundamental phase where it was all being embedded. And I think uh, if you don't have someone in that role, then actually saying this is a formalised structure, people, it's really easy to forget about it. It's really easy to sort of go around it. And become a token gesture. Oh, completely. So again, the approach, you know, community development versus that one-off response to a disaster. You bring in the psychological team, you do a debrief, it's usually strangers. But here, Ruth is a member of this community. She's a member of the hospital community, member of the Ulladulla Milton community. She's got history with these people. She's done all of the training, the wellness warrior training, and she embodies what seed is. That's it. That she's been transformed by it. And it's always lovely to be around someone who feels incredibly passionate and joyous about something. And she like she she was like the fridge sticker for for the seed program, I reckon. Yeah, that's right. So let's hear from her now. And then we'll come back and talk about that. Yeah, yeah. let's hear how she actually did that amazing project officer role. So in my project officer role, I got to do lots of things, um, kind of involved in facilitation of wellness activities and um, planning. And I was able to work one-on-one with um, different teams within the hospital as well. So if they identified that, there was something that they wanted to change or initiate, then I could come in and kind of talk to them about how that might work. And I was able to advocate for staff with their team leaders on making changes within the workplace for them. So all sorts of opportunities, um, I guess. And then the other component of my time as a project officer, which really meant a lot to me personally, was the ability to just have one-on-one interactions with staff. So throughout that time, everyone in the hospital was pretty much aware that if they were having a bad day, then they could always come to my office. So I was fortunate that I have an office on my own. So it was a pretty quiet space. We could close the door. It was in a quiet area of the hospital. So you wouldn't necessarily, other staff wouldn't necessarily know somebody was coming down to see me. So it was pretty private in that way. So staff could just come down, knock on my door and say, hey, not doing so well today. Can we just have a chat? So I had some pretty pretty incredible connections during that time as well. And, And my role was to not provide advice or try and fix their problem or anything like that. It was there just to be sitting with them with an open heart and open ears and just let them talk and let them feel as though somebody within their workplace really wanted to hear them. Um, And there's so much healing comes with being able to tell your story and also knowing that the person listening to your story is truly listening to your story. So that was pretty amazing. And then also as as part of my role, staff and team leaders and, and Stuart would also know that if he could recognise that somebody wasn't so great, that they would just kind of give me the heads up and I could then just very quietly just go in and check on people as well. So the fact that we had somebody who was dedicated to just checking in on the 
one-on-one well-being of staff there is pretty revolutionary I think you know we I don't I, I don't remember having experienced that in my career and I haven't seen it and don't know of it in other other healthcare settings either so you know I worked for two days a week so two full days a week for a lot of those 12 months was dedicated to trying to enhance the well-being of our staff at the hospital and to kind of just spread kindness and improve culture and um, look at any way that might um, help the well-being of others in the workplace. So pin-up girl Ruth, I just wanted to, as I was listening to her, I was thinking I would go into her office and I would, you know, definitely engage in a conversation with her in relation to how I was feeling. So I'm having a rough day because I trust this person. Yeah. She's been with us from the outset. She's been a wellness warrior and she's probably got her own story. I mean, we know that it's like a transformation story herself. But versus the I call up a complete stranger and download I'm having a rotten day because the insurance company haven't paid up and I'm still living in a caravan in the back of my mum's place. Yeah. No, this is someone that you could actually have a conversation with that, you know, you've had previous conversations with. This is far more authentic in my mind than some of the other responses that I've heard about in relation to disaster. Oh, I'd agree with you completely. One of the most empty uh empty resources that gets given to staff in a disaster is a phone number of a hotline or of someone who they've never met before ever, right? So actually to know that there's someone there on the ground who is working in the same environment as you, who's gone through similar experiences as you and their door is open and not just their door is open, Liz, what I love is that Ruth is involved in the environment. So she's able to go up to people and say, it looks like you're having a hard day are you okay, right? And like that, how many people do that in a busy hospital environment? Stop everything to say to someone, you don't look okay, come and sit with me. Like I think it's actually amazing to to have the organisation support the structure of that. Yeah, I do too. Hey, we've heard about all these activities that Seed did, right? Like and they're, they're all incredible. But let's come back to why they're important, right? Like let's come back to the fact that this group of staff went through a trauma and that SEED actually came at a point in time where they really needed to move to the next to the next point. It was a part of their healing journey, right? And that's going to have an impact, isn't it? It's going to have an impact on you professionally, but it's going to have an impact on you personally. You remember Michelle, the I, pharmacist? Yes. From part one, she's lost her house in the bushfire. Let's hear about the impact that Seed had on her as a person. I learned a lot along the way. And I think the, the most that for me that I got out of it was that, um, that my circumstances actually don't define that who I am. And that internal landscape that we carry can either be, be full of, of um, grief or fear or uh, loss and sadness, all of those things go through you, but you need to start replacing them. And I found that I was, I started to replace them little by little, they were able to be replaced. And I wasn't sort of um, any longer that person that was defined by the trauma that I had been through. 
at first I was defining myself by the trauma. You know, it was the conversations were like, oh, you've lost your house or um, I would be like, I lost my house at the beginning of conversations, you know, and I thought, you know what, I'm starting to define myself by that, that event. And so I no longer had to change my language. I had to change that part of me that I was no longer defined by that traumatic event. Um, and I can see how you could get really easily stuck there in that place because um, it actually took quite a lot of work. I had to rewrite even some of my own beliefs. You know, I'd never, I w had never been challenged to this extent with um, healing and processing something so large. You don't realise that so much of your identity is, is tied up with your things and the things that you have at home. And um, waking up each morning and having your cup of tea out of that special little teacup that you've had forever, or coming home from work and seeing the familiarity of your home and your furniture and your animals and just everything that is familiar to you makes you feel safe and makes you feel grounded. And I learned that being grounded isn't so much about the things that we have around us anymore. It's actually from within. And it's challenging to redefine the beliefs that you have, but it's not impossible. And to change was a great privilege, actually. I feel like I've, I mean, people come out of these traumatic situations and they say, like, I feel blessed. And I do, I feel blessed. I feel like I'm a better person. I'm a better listener. I am way more compassionate to other people's circumstances. I didn't want my future to be through this lens anymore. I, I wanted it to be amazing and positive and, it, it, it in fact opened the doors for um, kindness from people and it opened the doors to a whole new chapter of my life where I was able to come back to work and, and have a different even, even relationship with those that I worked with. When we went into our Wednesday sessions, I was able to facilitate from truth. Like I knew this, this was, this was true to me now. And, you know, there was understanding and I could really lean into people's stories and, and want to know more and, and learn to listen, really learn to listen to what people had and to offer, you don't, you know, it's, it's beautiful to be offered financial support and it's beautiful to be offered pieces of furniture and clothing and all of those things happen at the beginning. But what is the most beautiful is, is when you know, humanity give of themselves. And, and that happened to me within my community. My hospital community were so giving and so caring. I, I met people that I didn't even know anything about through this, through this whole journey. And so I guess that's me. The wellness sessions, the wellness warriors that have been created through the SEED program in Milton Hospital has completely changed the hospital like there is not there is no way it is the same place that it was at the beginning and I know that I have just as much changed I have been privileged to walk alongside the change and be part of that change and I think that for me I I healed I healed through that whole support system you underestimate how just sitting in a room with people 
who are compassionate and understanding will support you. It's literally like there were, there were layers of grief and the, the grief layers come off a little bit at a time, not, not all the way. And it was the most unexpected moments that my grief layer would come off. Something that was said, a bit of kindness, a little story that somebody else shared and that triggered me to share that little bit more grief. I don't think you, could, you can do that on your own. I think you need community. And I needed my community, my hospital community. I have only lived down here for a number of years. I lived on my own. So my family weren't down here. My community were the hospital. What a beautiful story to end episode two with, Mim, because we've come full circle with Michelle in some regards. And I love the fact that she's reauthored her story. Yeah, I do too. And it reminded me of, of how evolving the trauma story can be and how important it is for the person who owns that story to be able to tell it and retell it along their recovery process. And Michelle really highlighted the importance of being able to redefine yourself in the way that you need to as a result of, of, of a disaster and taking ownership of it. You know, I don't think it's just Michelle. Liz, I think that that is actually a large part of the story of Seed. It's about, you know, taking some control back as well, right? Everyone, this is, that's the end of part two of this three-part uh, episode series. And, um, and in our next episode, we're going to really focus on what the impact of Seed was on the leaders in the organisation because you don't, you don't think always that it's going to be the leaders that actually have a huge change happen within them. So we're going to get to focus on that and what does it mean to actually work in a healthcare system when you've gone through a program like SEED? How does that change you and the way you might work every day? And we're going to talk a bit about how do we keep this going into the future so that we can, other organisations can start to pick up the threads of this. Like you said, Liz, you know, you've taken the coffee buddies and you've run with it in your context. Well, we want to, we want to see more organisations doing that, right? Sure do. So, so that's going to be a great final episode for this series. But I think we can end it there, yeah? Let's end it. Yeah. Let's end it. Thanks so much, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next time. In another week, this one will be the next one will be released, and um, we'll finish up our seed series. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Mim. Bye. Thanks in the production of this episode goes to the Illawarra Shoalhaven Local Health District, and the staff at Milton Oladola Hospital, and to the University of Wollongong. This episode of Social Work Stories has been funded by the University of Wollongong Community Engagement Grant and the National Health and Medical Research Council. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice no matter the context. All of the practice stories we share are de-identified to protect and respect the people involved. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work we do, we would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, we would love it if you can leave us a five-star rating and a review. It would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. 
The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Justin Stesch, Liz Murphy, and Dr. Mim Fox. Thanks so much for listening.